There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Go Wild. Now, if you're looking to join a community of like-minded individuals who love the outdoors, then you need to check out the Go Wild app. And you can find it anywhere apps or are downloaded, or you can check out their website, timetogowild.com. Now, what is Go Wild? Go Wild is an app. It's a social media app where people can share their hunting, their fishing, their outdoor adventures through posts and pictures and log time. And all that kind of generates this score. And this score is almost like an overall score of how your quote-unquote adventure went. It's a pretty cool, pretty interesting uh, concept, and I think you guys should all check it out. So visit timetogowild.com or download this app wherever you currently download your apps. It's time to go wild. My name is Clay Newcomb, and I'm the host of the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. I'll also be your host into the world of hunting the icon of North American wilderness, the bear. We'll talk about tactics, gear, conservation, but we'll also bring you into some of the wildest country on the planet chasing bear. Welcome to the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. This is the fourth podcast in our series coming out of Manitoba, Canada on this whitetail hunt that we've just done with Tom Ainsworth. And we are we're on our home we're on our way home from Manitoba right now. We've actually driven through the night and I've got James Lawrence here in the driver's passenger seat. Driver's passenger seat? Nope. I've got James Lawrence in the passenger seat in the front. And I've got Steve Schultz in the back. And we We've left Canada. Last you heard was our podcast with Tom. And if you recall, 
it was the fifth day of the of a six day hunt that we recorded that podcast, and I talked about how I'd had a pretty tough hunt for seeing mature whitetails, and but I had one day left. James had already killed a buck on the second day, and Steve on the first day. So these guys were basically waiting around camp for me to kill a deer, and James was going out and doing a little bit of scouting for me. Uh, Steve was filming with me a couple of times, and so they were just kind of doing their thing, enjoying Canada. And so, but we got a pretty, had a pretty major breakthrough on day six. And so this this hunt with Tom is a is a six day hunt, and j- just for just for those of you that wouldn't know, any non resident hunting in Canada has to be guided. That's just the law. So you can't uh, an American or anyone any nationality can't go to Canada and do a do it yourself hunt of any kind. It always has to be guided. So we were on a, a outfitted hunt by with Tom Ainsworth of Grandview Outfitting. Tom is a longtime bear hunting magazine advertiser he used to have a bear hunting business he doesn't anymore he sold it and now he just has whitetails and tom's got a couple thousand acres that he hunts there in the the southern third of manitoba on the western side 40 miles from saskatchewan this is my second year to come up here last year steve and i came up here on the second day i took a mature 152 inch buck with my bow steve misfired his muzzleloader misfired on what we believe was 150 inch deer he had the rest of the week we never we never got a shot at another mature deer so that was the recap from last year so we had a tremendous hunt i mean opportunity at two 150 inch deer so this year we really didn't know what to expect i didn't know if we had used up all our 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 good luck from last year but we knew that we were in a super area for big heavy canadian whitetails just like what you're after so james you went with me on um, the the sixth morning of my hunt and you'd been sitting scouting for me now you saw a couple of couple of nice deer while you were scouting for me throughout the week is that right yeah they uh late afternoon um, and early in the morning late afternoon was the first one to come out come out probably 250 yards come in closer probably 200 exit the field probably back to 250 yards went across the field um, it was an iffy shooter it, uh, it was a rack buck uh, he was talking about judging them um uh, and when in doubt, it's probably not what you want. It's probably true, but it was a... Bucks was hard to find. We knew they were there. We could find the small bucks, the young bucks. Uh, seen lots of deer, but to pattern and get where you can get a shot at a good mature buck was really pretty tough. Tougher than yeah. I was expecting. I mean, I wasn't expecting to go out and set a deer comes out. You know, we had to we had to find the deer and, and sit on them, wait on them. Um, yeah. Uh, the best hunting was early and late, uh, right at right at daybreak, shooting light, and right at closing of the day uh, is when we seen most of our good yeah. bucks. Um, yeah, and then you saw maybe the best shooter of the week, besides the one you took, 
on day four, I think, late in the afternoon. I mean, just right before Tom was going to pick you up. You'd already filled your tag. There's a deer on the side of the road. Good one. Broke, but good one. Um, yeah, it. Uh, I was just scouting if I'd, if I'd had a tag, had my rifle, I think I would have been, I was watching a coyote first, watching a deer because there was no activity. Late in the afternoon, I was waiting on the outfitter to pick me up. Basically, I'd already packed my backpack, had my binoculars, rangefinder, um, gloves on, and turned. And the way I come in, there was a really, really nice buck standing broadside, looking straight ahead, not looking at me. Uh, had to get my gloves off, get my binoculars, get my rangefinder. Uh, and he walked behind a little island out in the field and didn't see him, but without a doubt, he was a definite shooter buck. So you came back to camp and you said, hey, I saw a shooter, shooter buck. buck. But I you didn't see any other deer. You sat there for four hours and didn't see a single deer, and then right at dark you saw that buck, so it was I hard sat, to... I sat there and watched a coyote early. Later there was a fox come out. I spent my time glass in the field, but no deer activity at all. Uh, and it was... It was still shooting light, but it was late. It was getting close, and really, really nice, mature buck standing near the gate that I come in. Almost on a gravel road. Almost. It like had a to county come, road. It, it had to come through the gate. So that, even though you saw that deer, that wasn't a deer that we really had a lot of confidence to go back in and hunt. First of all, you're sitting over alfalfa, and the deer just weren't there. That deer and, wasn't there. And that's, that's what was different than last year. Last year, those fields were full of deer, full of does, yeah. and then good bucks, too, were in there. And so you came back and said, I didn't see a single deer until right at dark, and it was a big, big buck. Big buck. And so, but that didn't, I wasn't too confident going back in there because I felt like that buck probably went into that alfalfa, that block alfalfa, didn't find many does, didn't find what he was looking for, so he probably wasn't going to come back anytime soon. But we, what we... What we did learn is that probably if a guy had the patience to go in and just sit in one spot for six days up there in Manitoba where we were at, you you would have almost been guaranteed an opportunity at a big, mature Canadian whitetail. I feel, I feel sure six days. I believe uh, if a person would sit there daylight to dark like you did the first or the last day, um, there was enough activity, but it's uh, going in before daylight. I'm afraid we may be running them out of the field uh, late in the afternoon. We're going in early, and they were coming out right at dark. So there just wasn't. We didn't. Uh, and what we were doing is we were moving around, which is that's it's it's real easy to say, yeah, you should just stay in one spot. But man, it's tough because I would hunt a spot, James. I would see maybe. Like when we were behind Tom's house, I saw a bunch of deer, but no bucks. And you just envision, well, there's not a buck in this area. But if a guy had sat there for six days, probably a shooter buck came through that field sometime during shooting light in the last six days, and we just weren't there. But we were moving around. And, you know, I'd probably do the same thing again if I had it to do over again. But at the same time, another strategy would just be to just sit in one spot and all the all these stand locations are over food sources and over major travel corridors 
in this big open country with blocks of timber. So the deer are quite patternable, especially when they're on alfalfa or beans, and they're you know. So, but but we were bouncing around a lot, and so no, go ahead. Well, we hunted the first afternoon when we got there, and Steve seen those bucks. And then he took a buck the next day. Uh, and then I took a buck the next day. But if I had it to do over, I'd spend a couple of days doing just like I did after I got my buck. Was going to different to pick out the best one. And then I would spend the rest of my time on that one. So you wouldn't have the six-day pattern, but spend two days finding your best spot. And then sitting on right. You know, so you're like, saying bounce around a little bit, find the deer you wanna find you wanna take, find something that you can stay with. Yeah. Uh, just like the bucks that when I got that buck, that good buck was with him, but uh, didn't offer me a shot. This one did, and it. I rushed it. I should have waited. And uh, I mean, I'm I'm tickled to death with my deer. Don't get me wrong. Um, right. But it was just the first two or three days. I mean, it sounds like really good but it was tough hunting yeah um Steve and, and you know i think that's pretty classic of canada though because canada is not known for tons of deer even though at different times you were seeing as much as 25 or 30 deer in a field yes, but Steve, canada is yeah. not known for lots of deer yeah 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 that uh of course it makes an in- interesting day you don't get bored when you've got a bunch of deer in the field but that's not that's not helping the fact that you're hunting big bucks that's right. Uh, it was obvious the little does, I mean the does and the little bucks was active and they were out sparring. And, but, you know, the big bucks wasn't showing up, um, even yeah. though it was getting an early rut. I think the ruts in another week or ten days will be be good. Yeah. But, well, um, and I think we've got to say it in case somebody hadn't listened to the other podcast, that the, the further north you go, the more compressed the rut really gets. And right now, like November... I believe I killed that, the, well, the buck yesterday on November the 3rd. Man, that would be prime time in most of the whitetails range. But up in Canada, it wasn't. I mean, the bucks are running together. They're on feeding pattern. They, The, the further north you get, it seems like that rut is just really intense and really short. And these deer are just focused on feeding, 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 and then it's almost like it just explodes and Tom says it's favorite day of the year to hunt whitetails in Canada. And he's been doing it for 40 years on his farm. And they've killed some tremendous deer, deer over 200 inches. And he says it's November the 19th. The he 19th. said that's, that's when he, if he could pick a day to whitetail hunt the way they do. And basically Tom's hunting over food sources. So he's hunting over, he's not getting back in the woods in the bush after these bucks. He's waiting for them to come to doze, basically. And so he's hunting food sources. That's and probably the primary way to hunt up there. Yeah. The bush is so thick. and that, you Yeah, know, you, you can't see. You can't hunt, scrape hunt. Um, yeah. But, but, you know, you had that nice buck laying in, what, 65 yards of you? Yeah, I got, down? I got back on the second day. I just looked at a block of timber from an aerial photo, and I just said, I'd like to get back in there. And Tom said, yeah, I know where there's a couple of trails back in there we went in there hung a stand first day i, I set i saw a, a really nice shooter buck a seven by five buck um 
had seven on the left side, five on the right side, and I watched him. He, I watched him walk in and bed down for an hour and a half, and I never could call him to me. Didn't want anything to do with the grunt call, and but that was back in the bush. But then I sat there another two days, morning, and evening, morning, and evening, and and never saw that deer again, and only saw one other deer, and that was back in kind of this thick bush. So I mean, Tom's philosophy, especially with firearms hunters is set out in open country and wait for the bucks to come out to the does or on feeding pattern. And so, hey, that brings us to right to where we can start talking about my hunt. You went in on day number two, and it was a cut soybean field. We talked about this in the podcast with James earlier. It was a cut soybean field that had been – they put an insurance claim on the field because elk had destroyed it. So I think that threw off their timing of harvesting these beans – they harvested the beans, and uh, a lot of beans shattered from the pod. And so there were beans all over the ground. And this field is probably, Steve estimated it to be 50 acres. I don't, I don't, I really don't have a concept of how big it was, other than that it was 600 yards across and about 400 yards wide. Probably, I don't know, I'd have to do the math, but it was big, big field, further than you could really shoot. And, James, you killed a buck in there on the first day you hunted in there. And you shot, you looked at this deer, you judged it to be mature, which was very true. The deer ended up weighing 250 pounds on the on the dot. And it had a nice, heavy eight-point rack. And there was a second mature deer with it about 50, 60 yards further that you didn't you didn't shoot and didn't really get a good look at so we were going back in there knowing that there was another mature deer in there i sat in there two days after you did and never saw that buck and only saw about seven deer on this huge bean field that we felt like was really going to be attracting a lot of deer steve and i sat in there and i never saw a mature buck and i kind of we kind of lost interest in the spot I mean, you had actually sat in there one day scouting for me and hadn't seen a shooter. And then when the time, and then I went in there and hunted of an evening, didn't see a shooter. And on the final day of the hunt, we get to Tom's place in the morning and we're discussing where to go. And he said, well, why don't you go back to the bean field? And we hadn't been over there in about three days, but... We knew it was a great food source, but still wasn't quite the activity we thought or we'd have been hunting it every day. But it was, it was you know, we just said, yeah, let's, let's try it. Let's go to the bean field. James, he had been scouting for me, so he'd been going to different places. And it was the last day of the hunt, so it wasn't going to do any good to go scouting. No, no, no. And so I said, man, you ought to just come sit with me, James. And James has been the lucky charm. Every, you know, he, he saw more mature bucks than me when he was scouting for me. So Tom said he was the lucky charm, and I just needed to go wherever James was going to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 So we – it doesn't get shooting light till about 8 o'clock up there that far north. And Tom dropped us off about probably a quarter mile – from the blind we were going to we walked in the dark we didn't want to bust anything off the field so we 
Yeah, we, we walked w- in the dark pretty good way. Yeah, we walked a quarter before we turned into the field yeah. to get to the stand, and then we went to the back. Didn't think we busted anything off the field the way we entered it. No. Coming in behind the trail. So. Uh, and there'd been snow since we were there. Snow was there. Elk tracks all over the first field we walked through. Yeah. Beds. Um, knew they were there. Knew there was animals there. Yeah, and he, he didn't just misspeak when he said there was elk tracks in the field. In the If you listen to the last couple of podcasts, you know that Tom's place up here in Manitoba has, he's got bull, he, well, yeah, he's got bull elk. He's got elk, wild elk herd there in the area. He's got moose. He's got black bear. And he's even got some mule deer. And so we're walking through this field and seeing these tracks as big as baseballs, you know. We're looking down at it, trying to figure out what it was. I'm not sure that it wasn't moose, James. After I looked back that's, at it, that's what I thought. But the man said it was elk. Oh, did he? Oh, yeah. We walked in. Okay. Uh, well, walked shucks. out. You know, when he come in, we you walked out, Tom. and I, uh, I said, "Check this out." And he said, "Oh, yeah, elk, elk." elk. I said, what okay. about moose? He said, "No elk." So I, we, I we took never his word saw an elk, it. but they were there. I oh, guess. they were there that night. Yeah, coming in at no night. Doubt. So no we doubt. slip in there in the dark getting the blind we've got about 30 minutes and man it's the last day and man i'll be honest with you these guys had been sitting around camp for five days the hunting was tough i mean kind of the morale of the camp was down we were struggling to find a mature buck on his feet and you know i even thought about saying hey guys let's just go home let's just Let's just cut it a day early and just go home. I, I, the thought crossed my mind. Well, I'd get fired up about going out, but then, you know, you sit there hour after hour after hour, no activity, kind of yeah. lets you down. But, you know, you, yeah. you get back and talk it all over, and we just, it worked for us. But uh, it was tough. It was tougher than I was expecting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I wasn't expecting to walk up there and shoot. I didn't want to walk up and sit down and shoot, but, but I, you know. Right. It just, um, it was a great hunt, but... Uh, it wasn't a piece of cake. It wasn't a cakewalk. Wasn't um, a cakewalk. Nope. Um, so, this, so this is the final day, and James and I are sitting in this blind, and I mean, just at shooting light, just at shooting light, for the first time that I was going to turn on the camera and kind of pan around out in the field. I don't know if you remember this, James, but yeah, I I, do. I yeah. panned the camera because it was it, you could finally see the ground, and it's this cut snow-covered soybean field for 600 yards, which is a long ways. And I'm panning the camera and I see two deer at the very back of the field. I mean, 600 yards away. And I I say, hey, there's a deer. It looked to me like a doe. Looked to me like a yearling doe. That's what it looked like. I zoomed in. We put up the binoculars. And I saw what looked to me like a doe and a yearling walking down this wood line. And then on the smaller deer in the front, he was kind of lighter colored. Did mm-hmm. you think they were different colored? James, did you notice that? Yeah, 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 they were. They one, were. The, the one in the front was a little lighter colored, and the one in the back was dark. And I think it's a doe and a yearling put up the glass the deer passes by a real dark spruce tree and I can see horns on the little one. Decent horns. Yeah. 
Yeah, no doubt. And with, there's we've got a little bit of a dispute here. James thinks that this was even maybe a bigger buck. I perceived it as a smaller buck, but still a maybe even a shooter, just a racked good buck. And from 600 yards in Canada, when you can see horns on a deer, it, it, you just it might be a good one. Well, and then I say, oh, there's two deer, and I look at the back deer, and all I saw was a real stocky body. I mean, he just looked thick. He was dark. His horns were dark, and that seems to be a characteristic of these older bucks up here darker horns and i honestly could not see i couldn't have told you if it was an eight point or a ten point or a six point but i could see james that his main beams went out just about even with his nose that's what i saw and i saw that he had good tall tines and i said that's a shooter buck yeah i could tell the difference i mean the through the binoculars, I could tell that it was massive tines, uh, massive rack, beams, um, to see one that far. Yeah. You know, I could tell that it it was definitely a shooter. Well, uh, I believe, I really and truly believe both of them were shooter bucks. Yeah. Um, so they're 600 yards away walking parallel <laughs> to us. I mean, they're not coming any closer. Yeah. And, man... I had sat in that stand with Steve two, two or three days before, and Steve and I had seen deer there too. And we and Steve had said, "Hey, if there's a deer there, I bet you could close the distance, because there's kind of a swale in this bean field, and we were just a little bit lower than where these deer were." And you know, we kind of got to talking about if we needed to get out of the blind and close the distance. And I was shooting Steve's muzzleloader, which is <laughs> truly a spectacular gun, and it it it's accurate out to 300 plus yards really is and so i was using that gun so i knew i had basically a 300 yard range that's what i felt like and when i saw those deer if there's one thing i've learned hunting in canada last year with steve is that just because you see a buck do something once doesn't mean that you're going to see him do it twice and I knew this last day, and there was a shooter buck at the back of that field. I knew they weren't going to be there long. These deer just, of the few times we've been there, I never saw a deer feed more than about 10 minutes. And and we think it was because these beans are so, it was a cut field, so they were, it was a clear area that the deer just weren't comfortable just being right out in the middle of for long well, periods they, of time. They didn't have to spend any time out there. They could just come out, feed, pick right. up the beans go back in i mean they could get um, a belly full of beans in about 10 15 minutes yeah that's what tom was talking about you know? right just, and high protein and yeah so they was, didn't need to stay out there for three no, hours no, like on the so, alfalfa they're out there for forever yeah they come out forever yeah and yeah, so <laughs> i knew we didn't have much time <laughs> yeah and what do you remember what i said or i want to tell off on you for one thing because as soon as you've seen it, it's James, it's a buck, it's a shooter buck. James, it's a buck, it's a shooter buck. Well, you grabbed stuff and headed out the blind, and then you come back in and was gathering up camera equipment, and where's my gun? You <laughs> left it outside. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, I, mean, I know you, I know you were, but <laughs> I don't know how to run a camera, but I would give anything to have a camera on you out there holding that gun up in the air, crawling through the snow with your backpack and trying to get <laughs> get first well, we got to tell them what happened yeah, yeah 
So, so I, I, I just start gathering stuff up and say, James, I'm gonna, I'm gonna close the distance on those deer. And so, I get the gun, the camera equipment. I go out of the blind, and I decide not to do it because the deer actually walked off the field. Mm-hmm. Yep. You remember the deer? Yep. The deer walked off the field. I get outside of the blind, put the glass up. The deer aren't there. James says they're gone, and I go, well, shoot. I guess I'll just get back in the blind. Get back in the blind. I know more than sit down, and I. That's when I left my gun outside. <laughs> yeah, the gun was leaned up on the you outside. Left Steve gun outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah, yeah I left Steve's gun. Don't tell Steve. <laughs> and I already have. That then, the buck reappears. Yeah. Yeah. And he kind of made a loop and come back into the same corner where we'd originally seen him. And, you know, probably 10 minutes of time had elapsed. And so I said, okay, it's go time. So I grabbed the gun, my backpack, all my gear, my camera, tripod and whatnot. And basically, I don't really have to belly crawl, but I was basically walking on my knees. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just got down on my knees and was walking on my knees with one hand kind of like a three three-legged ape crawl across this field and you know you're just going off total adrenaline at that point i had a game plan i knew where i had to get i knew i had to stay low i knew i didn't have much time i was carrying a nine pound gun and a backpack that weighed about 20 pounds cut gear i mean i was it was cold it was 27 degrees no no it was 24 degrees 20 yeah it's cold. Coldest morning of the hunt. Twenty-four degrees. So I bundled up. So I felt like the abominable snowman, you know, bumbling across this bean field. But, you know, and I didn't have any gloves on, so I'm putting my hands down in bare snow, moving, 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 moving. Finally, I get to the first safety point where I knew they couldn't see me behind a stack of logs, and I put up my glass, and there's no deer there. But a coyote comes out of the woods. Yeah. And so James is in the blind watching all this, and basically coyotes started yipping. And they didn't really run the deer off, but as soon as those coyotes started yipping, the deer disappeared back in the timber. Mm-hmm. Is that what happened? Yep, that's it. And then when I put up my glass, the coyotes that were yipping, one of them appears right where the deer were. Yeah. So, I mean, basically a coyote ran the deer off. And, you know, I was like, the opportune time for that to happen. But, man, that's far beyond the control of what we well, can control. So Really and truly, it it was a benefit. Yes. It got, it got the deer out. The coyote went on. Give you a little break in time to get yes. down to where you're going. It really, I hate to say it, but it kind of worked. It worked, man. So now the, fear, the, the field is cleared, so I'm able just to go straight to this point that we had picked out that would put me within 250 yards of where the bucks exited the field in this corner. And so I get there, and we got a little bit of a communication problem because James didn't have a cell phone with him. So James is in the blind with no communication, and I was anticipating just going over there and shooting this buck and then coming out. Well, I get to this point. It's the last day of my hunt. I've just seen a shooter buck on the edge of this soybean field and I'm thinking immediately I don't need to go I don't need to leave I need to stay here all day that's what I but 
Tom is coming to pick us up at 10.30. James is in the blind without communication. And so basically I texted Tom and said, Tom, I'm on these bucks. I'm in a good spot. The wind is perfect. It's blowing out of the south and east, blowing my scent out into this big field. I said, I'm just going to stay here all day. And I said, but, you know, come pick up James at the normal time, but park your truck. I told him, slip in, get James. And so that's what he did. Yeah, and it worked. Um, it was one of those days I didn't pack really well, and I was cold, ready to go, and I, I couldn't do anything where I was at. Uh, but I knew, and I told them all day long, it, he didn't, no, no, he didn't. He's not going to call you. He's going to call you at dark. He's going to get it just the last light. Uh, Steve and I was walking up to the house waiting on the car. Well, I was, went up for supper, and then we were going to pick you up and come in and have supper. And I said, no, no, no. We were sitting there, and the phone rang, and I said, that's it. And <laughs> Did it you hear you. the phone ring? Yeah, I was sitting there when he called. When you called. So I sat there for 10 hours. I got in there at about 8.30. That's what I figured, James, is probably 8.45, truthfully. We got shooting light at 8 o'clock. I think we saw the deer at uh, shortly after that. And then I moved in, and I was probably set up on them around 9 o'clock. And and then basically I sat there all day. I built a blind. I had some clip my clippers with me. I had a... I packed a bologna sandwich. We'd eaten a whole loaf of bread, but we left the two heels right. We just ate the middle out of that loaf of bread. So on the last day of the hunt, I wake up, and we've got two heels and uh, two slabs of bologna left. So I slapped them together, put them in the pack just in case something like this happened. So I had a little bit of food. High temperature for the day was like 27. So it was cold, but I was dressed right to stay warm. And basically, I got out on this little point built a blind and just stayed there all day and i was thinking that maybe those deer might come out back out midday to grab a few beans that's what i was thinking that's why i wanted to stay is i just like it's the last day might as well so i stayed out there long story short there was not much activity throughout the day i had two deer come out at one o'clock so i got set up at let's just say nine o'clock in my spot and at 1 o'clock, I saw two deer. A little bit before that, I had a coyote come right through. I saw that was it until like 6 o'clock, which end of legal shooting light was about 7.45, I believe. I think sunset was 6.14. So 30 minutes past that would be 6.44. So at like 6 o'clock, I saw a small eight-point buck come out on the back edge of a field, not where the big buck had gone. I felt like it really, there was no correlation between this buck and the big buck. But I watched this younger buck for a long time. And then at probably 6.20, a yearling doe popped out behind me. I'm watching this yearling doe. Two other does pop out. I'm kind of watching them thinking, well, is there going to be a buck with them? And I'm paying attention to them behind me. And meanwhile, in front of me is really where I think the deer is going to come from. And when I turned back around, James, 
I mean, it was it's just, it was just one of those times in hunting when it when it just worked. The wind had been perfect all day long, and Tom says it's pretty unusual to get an east wind up there. The wind blew out of the east for ten straight hours yep. without variation, unbelievable, and was blowing my scent right out into the center of that bean field where there was no deer going to be and no deer going to come from that way. And all day, that's what I was shocked at was how stable the wind was. And anyway, I turned back around at, let's just say, probably 632. I mean, it was getting dark. I oh, mean, that was my next question. How much shooting light did you have when you pulled the trigger? You didn't have a whole lot. Cause not we were, much. We were, we were cheering for you back at the house. Yeah. We were getting updates. And I said, Y'all were no, probably no, looking out the windows going, no, it's getting dark. I told him it's going to be the last five minutes. You were and, you were about right uh, on. I'll have to look I, back at the I, actual footage to see exactly. I really, I really don't know what, I, I very seldom, if ever, had that feeling, but I had no doubt. Uh, I knew you probably wouldn't miss, but I didn't have a doubt that you would that buck wouldn't be back. Not one doubt. You had confidence. Yep. I would, uh, I'm not a betting person, but I'd have bet anything. I just, I just felt it. You know, I just I don't see any way that this is not going to work, and that's well, hard to do with a white-tailed deer, you know. And Steve and was texting worked. me all afternoon too. He yep. was saying he's going to come, he's going to come, yep. he's going to come. Yep. <laughs> well, I, I felt I felt hundred percent. I really did. Well, see, that's the thing when it's when it's you in the battle, when it's you in the hunt, it's so easy to be pessimistic. And you know what, though? I was really at peace with whatever was going to happen, though, because I, I mean, I had taken a chance in going out to that point. I'd been pretty aggressive. And I just thought, if I don't do this, I'll look back on this hunt and wish that I had. Yeah, what and I felt I good done? about what the decision. Done? You done good. You done good. I felt good about the decision to be out there. And... And I tell you what, I learned something, James. The, the the longer I hunt, the more decisive I become. And I'm just learning that you just got to make a decision in hunting. And one decision that you make one day may be the wrong decision, but you got to keep making the decision based upon the data that you have, the facts that you have, and honestly, just the gut sensing that you have about stuff after you know a lifetime of interacting with whitetails and and that's, and that's very true if you if you make a point of what you're going to do stay with it it'll work for you just stay with it yeah. stay with it it'll work for you yeah but and i would i would have been disappointed if you'd give up and come in i really yeah. would uh, yeah well he's not coming in and call tom and we pick you up you know a little bit of shooting line left and I know it happens. I've done it to me before. I know I've left and deer come in. Yeah. Stay to that last lot. Well, it's so easy just to think it's not going to happen. And so I know that Steve is getting ready to go, and we are leaving for Arkansas at dark. I mean, we're not we're not even going to spend the night. It's the last day of the hunt. I know this. We're not even going to stay. We're, we're headed out. And I'm, I mean, it's 630, and I'm thinking, well, I didn't get a buck. It was a fun ride. I got to hunt hard for six and a half days in cold weather and you were saw some yourself, amazing country. You were telling yourself that before? Heck, yeah. Oh, I mean, you know, you just think, I mean, you just don't know. 
I mean, I just, I was just, I guess, trying to get okay with that, and and I was. And man, when I had seen those little does come out, I turned back around, and man, there was a dark blob in an odd space. You know how, you know how when you look at a spot for hours, you know every tree, every bush, every shadow, everything that could be a deer, every place you think there will be a deer. And I looked back. And there was something there, and it was big. And I, I was like, go time. I mean, it was just like, bam, that's him. But if you remember, there were two bucks, and I'm looking at one buck. And I felt like that one of the bucks was a lesser buck. And so I wanted to get some glass on this deer so that I could make sure I wasn't shooting a a smaller deer and then the real shooters in the back because I, I, I was going to go home with an empty tag rather than shoot a lesser immature deer I mean I, I, I had the opportunity to shoot that eight point early in the afternoon I mean I wasn't just trying to fill a tag on the last day at all and so I really wanted to look at this deer and, and when we end this James I want to talk about judging deer because when I first saw this deer I had no real comprehension of his size other than that his body features indicated he was mature and i could see horns on his head so i i put up the it it, it, i scrambled around with the camera trying to get it all on film put the gun up got the scope on about six power the deer is at 248 yards from me the deer's got his head down and he's sideways to me you know his he's like broadside to me and I feel like I see a pretty dang good tine coming off like a G1, but the the, the G the G3 looked kind of short. And anyway, I looked at him and looked at him and looked at him, and I just said, I need to I need to see him look at me. And man, he lifted his head. And when he lifted his head, it took me about a half a second to go. Judging was over with. Judging <laughs> was over with. Yeah, I was I like that. Yep. That's him. That's him. He was out past his ears. He was tall. I could see he had good brow tines. And I could see he had tremendous mass. And, I mean, it was like, done deal. This has got to happen quick. And so I, I mean, it was after that, I mean, the the show was over. I, I, I had him ranged. I knew where he was. I knew that bullet dropped about four inches at 250 yards. He's 248. So the deer is quartering to me. The deer is a gigantic target just because it's such a big body. We're shooting a – how many grains is that bullet, Steve? Steve's got his headphones in back there. I think it's a dang near 300-grain bullet. And um, I shoot for the front shoulder, quarter and two, and, man, bam, all I see is white belly on the field. After the – I lost him in the scope when I shot – and just, but I could see he just went down. And man, I kind of came unglued. You'll have to, well, you'll you'll get to see the video at some point. I uh, would do reason. Just imagine how many hours you set for something happen in a matter of just a few minutes. I mean, five minutes maybe. Yeah. How many hours did we set over there? But when it happens, it happens. You don't have. Yeah. And that. that it's kind of hard to explain. It's much time and money you spend yeah. to hunt 
and the hunt is just seconds, some or minutes. Yeah. Sometimes seconds. Yeah. Um, I didn't have a, I didn't have time to judge mine. There was two bucks showed up, running out of shooting light, and when he raised his head, I went, I just, you know, I can't judge one frontal. I need a broadside, and I chose to take him and did, um, but. I didn't have the chance to judge like you're talking about, where you right. can really, you know, I mean, you can see the width of the ears. Yeah. Get your width. Yeah. But get that beam length out here where it's out where you know you got some beam on it and the time, time yeah. length. Um, but. Well, so I then pretty much immediately call Tom, and you and Steve are in the living room with Tom. I was standing there right beside him when the phone rang, and I said, that's him. And he done. Big buck on the ground. Yeah. Yep. Tom's all business, man. And that's we the went. second yep. time. That's the second time I've called Tom about a deer. <laughs> and I say, I got one, Tom. And he goes, okay, we'll be right there. Yep. See you later. Yep. He, just, he was just all busy. I wanted to, like, tell him the story. You know, man, it came in right at dark. He looks pretty big. Man, and, he uh, don't want the story. He wants to get his hands on it. That's right. He uh, didn't care. He's no, just like, we'll talk about okay, that later. Yeah, we'll be there. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, Tom gets excited. Uh, yeah, he does. he does. And you know, so much of the fun of this hunt was having, you know, knowing you guys were rooting for me, just like I was rooting for y'all. Okay, now here's here's something. This happened, and this is I can't. I don't really think this has ever happened to me before, James. Because most of the, well, all the biggest deer I've killed have been with a bow, so you, you get a close look at them because they're within bow range when you shoot them. This is the only big deer that I've killed with a firearm. And uh, I really had no idea, like, how big this rack was. And as I'm walking up, I'm thinking, and, and I didn't really care what the score was. I honestly didn't. The buck was mature. He was heavy. That's all I care. I mean, he could have been a six-point if he'd have been that big, heavy Canadian, you know, horn mass, dark horn, gnarly. I mean, I was going to be happy. I didn't care. So it wasn't like I was trying to score him. But I said to the camera, I said, I have no idea if that's a 120-inch buck or a 160-inch buck. I just I don't know. Yeah, so many times you have ground shrinkage, but uh, I don't think you had any ground shrinkage, did you? No. I walk up to the deer, and, and I can just see a lot of horns sticking up off the ground and get to him. And, I mean, basically it's a mainframe eight-point with a kicker, and he had super mass. We hadn't really put a tape on him at all. He's about 18 and a half inches wide. He got probably 10 and a half inch G2s, big curled. And one of his G2s, James, is bladed. It's probably an inch and a half to oh, yeah. even an yeah. inch and three-quarters yeah. wide probably. Yeah. It's yeah, just like that's this Im- big, that's impressive. big bladed tine. Um, and, I mean, the deer was huge. We later would weigh the deer, and it weighed 248 pounds with with guts in. And so, man, the, the hunt ended at the last minute with a good deer. And I don't even want to guess what his score was. It's not a 150-inch deer, no. It just didn't, you know, it's just an eight-point. Kind of had short threes but just super mass i mean i would drive across north america in a flash every year to kill a deer like that i like the mass um 
more than I do tie length. I like, the tying length is, you know, it's critical if you're looking at inches and stuff, but I like that mass. Yeah. I don't care if it's a six point, eight point, ten point. Yeah. With mass like that, you don't care. You know, you've got a big, mature, massy buck. That yeah. was, I don't know what he scores either, but you've got a prize. It's a dandy. Well, man, I was I'm just, thrilled. I'm just so impressed by the size of those deers, those head and neck and body uh, coming from, Yeah. oh, I don't know. Um, they are big-bodied deer. Part of Arkansas that we hunt, that our deer, that's probably, I doubt that our deer average over 125, 130. I mean, there's bigger deer, of course. Big, but, big buck, mine. But our deer's about half that size. Yeah. You know, and of yep. course they don't have the mass. I mean, they do some, but they can. As a not common. Just uh, and it. We talk to hunters, and and I've done the same thing. I've overjudged the weight and stuff till I put them put them on the scales and weigh them, and, and you know, and then you take one, you put it on the scales, and it goes over two, and then up to two fifty. I'm not used to that. That's twice the size of yeah. The area in Arkansas that I hunt, you know, yeah. 25, yeah. 30 pound deer. Yeah. Can be a good 10 point. Yeah. 18, 20 inch spread. But it normally don't have the mass. Doesn't have the mass. You know? And that's what Tom talked about. He told us all week and he says, guys, he says, I don't, I don't care if a deer, I don't care what it scores. He said, what I'm looking for is mass. Yeah. And he said, that's what most guys want when they come to Canada is just a deer with a lot of mass picking up some of the shedders he's had there over the years and stuff it just uh you don't have that feeling in arkansas when you pick up a shedder yeah you know you, you got a handful you got a handful, handful. yeah well we kind of had a classic canadian hunt on this deal and um, i want to close out this podcast by talking about what we learned about judging deer because i'll tell you I went into this talking to these guys saying that the deer that I killed last year was bigger than he looked. So I was like, you know, this deer, I thought he was a 130-inch deer. He ended up being a 150-inch deer. Well, that actually can hurt you because if you – it's all about scale. And you can think a deer is bigger than he is, and still he's a small deer. And that's maybe my biggest takeaway – from hunting Canada twice now is that there are small deer here. Like you kind of have in your mind that if you see a racked buck, it's going to be this big deer. Well, there's all age class of deer here, all genetic class of deer here. And so, you know, Steve, in the last podcast we talked about his buck, you know, he 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 misjudged a deer on the first day, a 10-point that had all the characteristics of a big buck. Except when we got to him, he was just about, you know, two-thirds the size of what we really wanted him to be and what we really came up there to hunt. And uh, and so we talked about two things that could have helped him is that the, the younger deer, their main beams don't come out to their the end of their nose and beyond their face. Because even Steve's deer that was a younger deer... And a super nice deer, but a younger deer, 
still weighed well over 200 pounds. No doubt. I mean, so it was a big bodied animal. So, but that deer, if you looked perpendicular to it, like his, his main beams did not come out beyond his nose. Almost any of these shooter deer here in Canada, their main beams are for sure going to come to their nose. But the other thing you really got to look at is is body size. Yesterday, James, last day of the hunt, that eight point comes out from 250 yards away, the one I didn't shoot. And I think a guy could have easily talked himself into shooting that deer. That deer weighed well over 200 pounds. His horns came out to his ears. I mean, if you had just really been trigger happy you could have shot that deer thinking you were shooting a 130 inch eight point when really you were shooting a 110 inch eight point just the scale of that deer and so what you really need to look for is the characteristics of a really mature buck up in canada is just going to be thick dark we've noticed that a lot of these bigger deer are just darker in color i mean just thick all the way through even a 225 pound two-and-a-half to three-and-a-half-year-old deer still doesn't have the body shape of a really big, mature buck. His his belly is flat. His back is not arched. His neck is more defined as it comes out of his front. He doesn't have a boxy, real boxy look. His legs look a little bit longer. Even though it's a 225-pound deer, it still has the characteristics of a two and a half or three and a half year old whitetail, just like back at home. Does that make sense? Yeah, it really does. It really does. And so, scale will get you. And part of the reason I knew that the second buck was a shooter early, early that morning was I was looking at a buck that had a nice rack of horns, and the deer that was following him, following him was just a notch bigger. I mean, it it was just forty pounds heavier. It was taller, it was longer, and I was like, that second one is a mature buck. Now, if you'd have seen the first one by himself, you'd have had it, you'd really had to have analyzed it. And I think the main thing is, is you've got to, you just can't, you just can't pull the trigger, especially in a situation like this where you're hunting, you're hunting, uh, you're traveling to hunt. I mean, there's a lot invested in this hunt. You know, if you're hunting your own property, I mean, you can do whatever you want. Uh, when you're when it's on a hunt like this, you you kind of have to go into it wanting to find multiple factors that show you that this is the kind of deer you want to have. Judging bears always tell people don't rely on just one thing; rely on multiple things. And so, up here in Canada, I was looking for a deer whose horns went out past his nose. I was looking for a deer that did not show the characteristics of a young three-year-old body, two-year-old body, flat belly narrower neck longer legs um i was looking for i was just looking for that kind of bull angus bull in the pasture look in a big buck and it just they're hard to find what do you have anything about judging deer that you learned up here (laughs) well actually i didn't i got i guess i got too excited i normally do uh, but we were in but there see, together. You still shot got, a. You still shot a. I mean, you shot a mature buck, though. Yeah, it's a mature buck. But I really, you know, you said the other day, if it's a question about it, don't shoot. And right. I was running out of light, uh, and he offered me a shot, and he was face on, 
he had the width and it looked to me like the rack that I he looked like a shooter I mean uh, and then when he gave me a broadside shot I debated I remember debating you know just to myself don't 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 getting getting late and but see, if I, I think you made the it. right choice, though, James. I would have shot that deer because that deer weighed 250 pounds. He had all the characteristics of a big deer. Now, he didn't have the rack. I mean, I think we said, we talked about it today, he probably had a 125-inch rack. So he yeah, just maybe. didn't he didn't have the massive rack, but still, I mean, it was a mature animal. And there was another one behind him, and I couldn't focus on him. Um, right. This one offered me a shot. Uh Probably pretty common mistake. I admit I'm. I didn't judge the deer like I should have. I didn't have time to judge the deer. Right. He gave me he, he gave me the width judgment, and the way he was holding his head, I thought I had the height. Yeah. Um, and I, when we walked up on him, I was impressed very much with the size of the deer, but he didn't have the rack I was expecting. Yeah. He really didn't. Yeah. I mean, I'm tickled to death of the deer, you know. Right. Uh, but right. when we were watching that deer, I was more excited about it being a big shooter buck than judging it. I'll be honest with you. I just yeah. want to get in a position yeah. closer because we couldn't do anything about it where we were at. Yeah. I mean, it really couldn't. Um, and the fact that you got closer and you had time, time to judge him, thankful for that. Yeah. Uh, but. I, th- I think it was pretty obvious when he come out. He was a shooter, though. Oh yeah. Without judging him. Yeah, he, uh, I mean the judging that deer was a no-brainer, yeah, especially yeah, being yeah, the last day. Yeah. I just needed to confirm that it was a mature animal. That's but, that's what I wanted to do. But <clears throat> the judging part is where you get to the bigger bucks, letting some of them walk. And it's hard to let a, a big old buck. Well, that one that went across the field the other day might have been the one that was with us. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was a it was a decent buck. Um, I didn't have a I didn't have a tag, didn't have a gun. I was just out there, but uh, I'm glad I didn't have that decision. You know. Yeah. Because I might have made a mistake on it, but it was a decent. I mean, it was a, a good good bodied deer. Yeah. Uh, I don't believe I believe it was a young deer with a smaller rack, but it. It had the width. I mean, it was. Uh, yeah. And the deer well, that was with the one that I did take on the Tuesday uh, could have been the one you could have been the one that you you got. Yeah. You know? I, I don't know. I just I just know they both had good racks, and they both big deer, and I rushed. Uh, but, you know, the different bucks that I seen later in the week. Um, Maybe if I'd been carrying a firearm, still had a tag, been sitting out there, I was just more or less scouting. I was just trying to see deer, what kind right. of deer, if any bucks, any shooter bucks come in. And th- that buck just busted me. I mean, I I was sitting there all day, and he walked up, and when I turned and seen him, he'd walked in the field, standing there broadside, um, 50 yards each way. He was out probably 50 yards from the gate, 50 yards to that island. And I would think that if I was in there hunting with a with a rifle, that I would have checked that. Right. 
you know. And I so didn't. So you would have, you would have. I was waiting on the, the outfitter, uh, Tom, to come pick me up. And when I, I had my glove, I had my backpack, and he's standing there broadside, you know. And you didn't have to have glasses for this one. Was he wasn't that far. And so he was definitely what you're kind of describing is that if you had passed that deer on the first, on the second day that you ended up killing, and you'd set, you probably you would have you would have had opportunity of that second deer. <clears throat> but who knows if that deer wasn't smaller than the one you killed? No, he was uh, um, he was he was a good buck. A good. He buck. was a big buck. Yeah. Um, he's one that you just. I was just so wanting him to come out on the other side of that island. But the doe come out, come on the side that I was on. She stopped three times, just walked like nervous. And I don't know where that buck went, but he went out of sight. I never seen him again, but yeah. I was I was sick, man. I just, I fumbled and, you know, I didn't <laughs> have a gun. I was just, I was just. Uh, you were just scouting. Scouting. Uh, well, I think the. I think the main takeaway is that when you go to a new area to hunt whitetails, you need to be really cautious with judging deer. You know, if, if your goal is to take a big one, and it's not everybody's goal, and so that, you know, to each his own. If you're no, going somewhere real, to It's hunt, real easy to be to a new area, and I was trying too hard. I was rushing stuff. I wasn't, I wasn't myself. Right. Uh, but a hunt like this turns you, it's hard because you got six days. We talked yeah. about it, James, yeah. how yeah. if we were back home hunting like this, man, we would, we'd have plenty of time. You wouldn't go hunt when the conditions were bad. Right. right. You'd, you'd just come back if the bucks weren't chasing does and bucks weren't moving much. You'd just wait and come back the next week. But, man, on a six-day hunt, you just got to go hunt every day. You got to go. So it, it go. does put this pressure on you to... You know, you're going to get one opportunity. That's pretty much what Tom says, as with most of his hunters. If they, throughout the week, in a six-day hunt, they're going to get one opportunity. I mean, legitimate opportunity at a big buck. It doesn't mean it's going to be the only one you see. You may see several, but, like, shooting opportunity. Yeah. One and that, that played true with, with all of us. Yeah, it did. Now, it really but, did. Yeah, and someday it happens on the last day, but <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, this this is the final podcast in our Manitoba Whitetail series. This is a bear hunting magazine podcast, but the way I look at it is that man, anybody that's hunting bear is going to be a whitetail hunter as well. And uh, and this is up in some serious bear country where a lot of our outfitters are that are in bear hunting magazine. I know we've got several good, really good Manitoba outfitters um, that I would recommend that I know personally up in that area. And uh, anyway, I'm I'm kind of falling in love with Manitoba. This is the second year, James, that I've hauled a big rack home from Manitoba. Oh, I would too. I would too. Yeah, man. That is. Well, it's that's just an a, awesome place to be. It's an awesome place to be. It's an awesome yeah, place to hunt. It's such a different place to hunt than than where we're from, and that's probably what's so much fun. And it was a blast hunting with you and Steve. Really was. Steve's my father-in-law, and then. For those that hadn't heard the other podcast, me and James have been friends for a long time, and uh, this this was a dream of ours to be able to hunt whitetails together. And Steve and I came up here last year, and again, we just had a fantastic time with these guys as they waited around camp for me to kill one on the last day. 
So thanks for hanging in there for me. Well, that was that was a pleasure. I enjoyed I enjoyed scouting, sitting out, uh, and the silence of that place. You know, there's no planes, trains, or automobiles. Right. One plane went over. Yeah. The rest of it just peaceful, and you're out there. Um, Man, it's I, still it, it, out there. It, There's something about the cold, cold, dry air like that. That, that. Oh man, those afternoons would just be dead still. Yeah, it just it pushes you. <laughs> yeah. Just what's going to come out next, and where it's coming out? I mean, the anticipation, uh, and they usually do. Something comes out. Yeah. The first day that bear come out by me, and I was excited. Beautiful, beautiful bear. Um, I was just glad to see yeah. wildlife in a place like that. Yeah. Incredible. And then, man, for me, geez, the final day to kill a buck like I did. The last five minutes just of the six-day hunt. Fuels the fire even more <laughs> to want to get back up here and and to tell people they ought to come up here. This hunt's a lot more affordable than you think. I mean, I think guys think a canadian whitetail hunt's going to cost five to seven thousand dollars and this one doesn't i mean i i think tom charges about three three grand for a hunt which is a lot of money for anybody it's a lot of money for me um but at the same time it's it's worth every penny of it yeah um, i mean it's an experience that if you're a whitetail hunter you need to come hunt the far north I mean, this is like an iconic place for whitetails, and Tom's an iconic guy, man. We've laughed and laughed about Tom. What a what a guy! Jeez, he's a piece of work. He's got a he's got a philosophy for everything. Yeah. He is like a machine. It, Tom Ainsworth is like a well-oiled machine when it comes to hunting. When it comes to everything, you can come in there with your chin down where you messed up that day. Tom's there. It, it don't matter. He says that all the time. It don't matter. Yeah, he, he deals really well with he'll people, fire doesn't you, he? He'll fire you up, and you're ready to forget it, do better the next time, and, and you do. Yeah. You do. Yeah. I, I, I sit and listen to him all the time, whether he's talking to me or somebody else. I, that it, and look at you. Look you in the eyes, and he means it. It don't matter, you know? And I'm it doesn't. do it again. There's it always tomorrow. It, There's always tomorrow. next time. He's always he, got I a hope, really positive outlook on everything, and, just, and that helps. It when you're really, when your when your leader is is got as much knowledge as he has and experience, holy cow, he's been oh, hunting this property for forty years. I could sit and listen to him all day long. Yeah, um, he, you know, Tom has not been educated by the Tom has not been educated by the by the media knowledge of whitetail deer. I mean, Tom, Tom. I, I could describe a couple of different things that would show you that he has been educated by hunting them for 40 years. Exactly. With not just exactly. him, not just his experience, but guiding between probably six and 18 hunters every year, putting them out in places, getting a report from them, seeing what they killed, seeing what the deer do. He's a, he's a master on his own property of telling you what these deer are going to do. So, I mean, he's not, He's not into the fads of whitetail hunting. And I can tell you one thing that Tom Ainsworth doesn't give a darn about is wind direction. What did he say? <laughs> he said, he said. It don't matter. <laughs> he said, he said wind direction. He said, well, you got a 75% chance that it's going to work. 
<laughs> I'd go into a spot and I'd be, man, how's the wind? And he said, I don't care. You got a 75% chance that's going to work. And if it doesn't, we'll go somewhere else tomorrow. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, that's he didn't. the best attitude that you can have hunting a white-tailed deer. Yeah. It really is. He did. If he doesn't sweat do the small stuff. And, mm. and I, I, I think he, he, I mean, hunting these pressured deer like we do in the south and in the Midwest, I mean, you, you do need to watch your wind. And we know that. He knows that. But these deer up here are different. They are not pressured. And, man, you bump you bump some of these deer out of a field, they'll probably be back in there, if not that evening, the next day. I mean, these deer are a little bit different. So, you know, his perspective there is coming from his knowledge of his deer. <laughs> and uh, it makes for kind of a fun, just a fun environment. And uh, But at the same time, Tom is totally wanting to partner with you. I mean... I was asking him if I could hang a stand here or there, and he was like, yep, let's do it. I mean, he every morning he'd say, where do you want to go, Clay? And I know the farm well now after two years of hunting it, and I'd say, I want to go here. And he'd say, all right, let's do it. And a lot of mornings I'd wake up and say, Tom, where do you think I should go? And, man, you could see his brain, you know, just working, and he'd be like, man, you know, we, we saw this buck here, and this happened here, this, this, this. And we'd collaborate together and come to a decision. And I give full credit to Tom for sending me back to that soybean field. I, I, I wasn't going to go there. Really? Well, I mean, it wasn't even on the table. And Tom that morning said, how about I take you all to the, to the bean field? Oh, I'm glad. And when he said it, I liked it because I hadn't even thought of it. And every rational decision that we'd made on this hunt for judging deer movement was pretty much wrong. So I was looking for ways to... Out, you know, skirt around my mind. <laughs> you know, because you gather all this knowledge of what the deer are doing, and you're trying to rationalize where to go hunt. And I was really looking for some outside influence of what to do. And Tom pretty much was just—he would have let me do whatever I wanted. Well, I was glad of the decision. I was fired up on that spot. I really was. Yeah. I really. Well, was. I was when he said it. When he said it, I was like, "Yeah, let's go to the bean field. Or just That'd be good." There's something about it just fit besides the soybean on the field. Yeah, tons you know, of it, food. It just, well, it, the bush, it's woods in Arkansas, but right. it's bush up there. The bush around it, it, they can get in and out of that field and all the other places. They had a, at least a quarter of it that wide open into the, another field. This was closed in. They could come from any direction, but right. the direction we walk in was the only opening and the one that the buck went through. Yeah. The rest of it, they can come in and out, and they don't have to get out in the field. Right. You know, and that's what you think about the big bucks. They skirt the, the area, like yours did. Yeah. You know, like they were doing when we seen them. Yeah. The one I got, that's what he was doing, right on the edge of the, edge of the field, not out in it. So you had all that edge around, and then you used the, the benefit of that little nook that come out that worked absolutely perfect for you, where you made the blind, where you killed the deer. Yeah. Perfect, perfect. Hey, also, you know, it's something to note, too, that in this big bean field, these deer were popping out in all these seemingly random locations, which we know they weren't random. That buck popped out in the only corner that you could not see from the main entrance to the field. Yeah. Like, if we'd have been sitting in the blind, we would have never seen that buck. It's just a little... Yeah, it's just a little, just a little nook that you don't even know is there. You don't know the nook's there till you're down there. Yeah, and then you realize there's about a 50 square yard area of this bean field that you cannot see. <clears throat> that you'd have to get out yeah. in 
Yeah. And that is exactly where that deer was. That's why they get that big, I guess. He just knew he could feed there. He could step 10 feet out in that field and get all the beans he wanted. Yep. Um, And the fact he don't have to be there that long. He could step out there, you know, like Tom was talking about today. It's, It's not like they fill their belly up. They come out and have a snack, basically. Yeah, how many beans could they gather up in yeah. an hour? Yeah, and they're laying there. Tons. Tons. Yeah. Tons. I was eating soybeans while I was laying there, James. I did, too. <laughs> yeah, they were good. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that was exciting. Well, really, hey, really it was well. a... Golly, and I don't I'm even so know what to say. I'm so proud for you. Well, thank you. Thank you, thank if you. I was a betting man, I would have won on that one. Yep. If anybody would have bet with me, nobody would. But. Well... I just I've, I knew that everything was just right that day. It just it was just right. It was so right that that's what made me think something might go wrong, but it went right. <laughs> yeah, it went yeah. just right. So we're driving home from Manitoba, and we got three racks on the truck. I just posted on Instagram that we're coming out of Manitoba dirty, riding dirty. We yeah. got three bucks. We got meat in the Orion cooler. And we're a couple hours from home. And, hey, thanks for listening to the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. I don't know. We'll see where the, the, the podcast goes from here. I'm still going to do some hunting in Arkansas. James and I are talking about doing, doing some hunting down on public land. Um, we're going to we'll be, we'll be having some more episodes. But, hey, check out Bear Hunting Magazine, our print magazine. We're the only print magazine, bear hunting print magazine in the world. Check out our YouTube channel. We've had about 7.1 million views on our YouTube channel in the last year. We've got about 28,000 subscribers. We've got some awesome videos up. Uh, whitetail hunt, my whitetail hunt about from Tom. Tom's place last year is up on YouTube. But check out our YouTube channel. Check out our print magazine. And, hey, keep the wild places wild because that's where the bears live. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.